enabling best-in-class customer experience and operational excellence in a hyper-connected oil and gas world, TCS prioritizes problem-solving and leverages customer insights to drive real business results. To find out more, go to TCS.com. That's TCS.com. Welcome to the Energy Fellows Podcast, where each episode is designed to share expertise and experiences from U.S. and global energy fellows. They provide direction and possible solutions for ultimate journey results. Here's your host, Mark Stansberry. Welcome to the Energy Fellows Podcast. I'm Mark Stansberry, your host. And today we have with us Don Porter, Midland, Texas, and has great experience in energy and natural resources development as well. So, welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on your show today. Well, it's so exciting. And uh, we got started. I got a call about a year or so ago, I believe. And you were, I believe, in Houston. You reached out, and I had a book out years ago, 2012, called American Needs America's Energy. And you were kind enough to reach out and ask if you could use a quote or quotes from the book. And I was so thrilled. We spoke by phone and got to grant you the go-ahead, but by all means, which you could have had anyway, but I'm glad you reached out and really appreciate your leadership in the energy and natural resources business because we need more people like yourself that reflect the industry like you do. And you've been giving talks, uh, written papers on and on. I'd like to hear about your history. And I know the audience would like to know more about where it all began and where you are now. It was a long Take your time. Tell us about your history. Okay. By way of introduction, my name is Don Porter. I'm a geoscientist and I work for Suez Water Technologies and Solutions. It's interesting. Some people are very familiar with Suez in the world. Other people, a lot of people in Midland had never heard of Suez before. We are one of the world's largest water treatment technology companies. There's over 10,000 employees and we have over 50,000 customers in 100 countries around the world. And it's been an interesting move into the water side of the business from what I did before. But if you know a little bit about my history, you'll see how it all ties together, which is really kind of fun. My full name is Renee Dawn McShinsky-Porter. One of the things I've been getting into recently is uh, forensics genealogy, which is family genealogy is a hobby. And I found it strange that we only give our children their, their father's name, right? Since each of us are equally from really rich lineages of both our mother and our father. And my mother's last name is Rains. And the branch of family that made her were very famous American pioneers. Both sides of my family roots have go back to the Mayflower. Both families came to America to work in coal mines, establish new homesteads, explore the West. And both sides of my family fought in every battle in the war since the early colonies. Very deep American roots, very deep Utah roots. Mm-hmm. I was born in Provo, Utah, and I'm a direct bloodline member of Daughters of the Utah Pioneers. And my mm-hmm. direct great-great-grandfather is Jacob Hamblin. He was one of the Mormon uh, missionary pioneers. Mm-hmm. He, he was a polygamist. <laughs> I'm from wife number one to seven. And what <laughs> I love about his story, and it really teaches me a lot about my path in, in this journey, is he was a diplomat to various Native American tribes of the Southwest and the Great Basin. He walked right into their nation. He lived there a year learning their language. And he also aided the European-American settlement of large areas in southern Utah and northern Arizona, where he was seen as an honest broker between Mormon settlers and the natives. Sometimes when you understand your background, it makes more sense of, mm-hmm. of what drives you, your, makes your passions and the work you do now. So I grew up as a girl in Oregon, which is beautiful. And then my family moved us to Utah when I was about 13, 14. And we were very poor. <laughs> mm-hmm. But somehow I have six younger brothers and 
My parents always found a way to scrape together the means to help us all reach our goals. So I'm the oldest with those six younger brothers. And mm-hmm. what I particularly fell in love with was skiing. My six brothers, see, we did a lot of fun things together. Two of them got into luge up there in Utah. And one became on the National Olympic team. And the other four brothers became professional ballroom and Latin dancers. So a very busy family. Oh, my goodness. And two parents are both school teachers that really supported all of us to go for it. Mm-hmm. As a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> I was a really good yeah. student. I even graduated early from high school. I found the love of the mountains and athletics of greater interest to me back then as a teenager mm-hmm. than math and physics. In fact, had you told me I was going to grow up and become a water engineer working in chemistry, I would have believed you. <laughs> so <laughs> I had truly forgotten about some of the younger desires. I didn't even want to go to college. I started skiing a lot. I had dreams to be the first woman to ski Mount Kilimanjaro. I oh, wanted to do all kinds of big things with my athletics. However, it went really well. So I used to just clean the ski slopes in the summertime to earn enough money to get my ski passes and be on the ski team. And by age 18, I was a professionally sponsored athlete. I was on a, a world tour for ski racing. I starred in a few extreme skiing films, modeled ski clothing, was on Dateline NBC, and mm-hmm. uh, competed in the ESPN X Games. Mm-hmm. I was in that very first group of women that competed in big mountain, ski across, slope style, and big air competitions, which very exciting to watch, have progressed to be highly popular. And it, those advanced skiing disciplines in the Olympics now. So kind of kind of the OG of that. Mm-hmm. 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 And the only job I could do really that worked with being a professional skier in the summers, because it didn't pay that great, was a wildland firefighter. So this will kind of come together in an interesting way. There were some interesting things that happened that prompted me to go to college. One, we were in a terrible rollover accident outside of Salmon, Idaho, where mm-hmm. I actually briefly died. I oh drowned my in my own blood, had a pneumothorax, oh ruptured spleen. They brought me back and flew me to Missoula. But just a few months after that is when I recovered strong enough to ski in the X Games. Very resilient, kind of maybe tenacious to a fault. (laughs) A few years later, I enrolled in the Air Force as an F-16 crew chief, had a ski accident in an X Game ESPN qualifier, blew my knee out, lost that skiing career and my military career. A few years after that, I got into dirt bike racing and riding. (laughs) had a major head injury in one of those events. And so that brings me to probably about age 24. And I had just a fair amount of physical violence at that point. Mm -hmm. And although I was working as a firefighter for Salt Lake City and a medic, just became apparent that I needed a career that wasn't quite so physical. Mm-hmm. So I did my undergraduate UVU in Orm, Utah, where I double majored in technology management and earth studies with a really heavy emphasis in geology. And and one of the things I did in that was marry my background of firefighting into the geological sciences by doing a, mm-hmm. a thesis project on post-fire debris flows, because we didn't really have an instant command system at that time on how to respond to the number one way we kill people in Utah, which is with landslides that happen post-wildfires. And you know, from there, it just really snowballed. I fell in love with geology, I matriculated into the University of Utah's program in geological engineering, and then later graduated with my master's in business administration from WGU, Texas. Well, one of the things that really inspired me to make that pivot from the medical and emergency medicine side of the business into geology was I was at the Rocky Mountain Geological. They have a symposium that they do. And I saw this beautiful woman there. Mm-hmm. And she had this long gray hair and she just glowed. She was probably in her early 50s. And I asked her, I said, what do you do? 
And she said, I own an oil and gas company. I said, oh, I'm studying geology right now. And she says, oh, do it. I promise you'll never regret it. And I looked at a lot of the nurses and some of the people in my field and how exhausted and overworked they were and how much they had sacrificed. And as much as I admired that, I wanted to grow up to be like that lady, the lady that owned the oil and gas company, the geologist. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really wanted to see my life turn into that direction. I went full bore into geology and never looked back and I've never regretted it. So fascinating. Talking about your history, it, there are those in the upcoming leaders, those in the classroom, students, those that are considering your fields. And, and your history it shows that when a door opened, you looked in, you had definitely some doors closed dramatically in some ways, but you continued to look for opportunities knowing that there were some things down the road for you. And even at the worst situation, or situations, you were able to adjust or adapt. And that's part of business, you know, when you're trying to make your future in the oil and gas industry or the energy industry and natural resources like you do, it takes a lot of adapting. And to be able to be resilient, you were. And that's what is a, an attribute that I encourage others to uh, take hold because there's so many students out there, so many upcoming leaders and leaders now that need that attribute for sure. So from there, tell me what you're doing from that point on. You stopped there, but tell me your background in the oil and gas as well as where you are today. Sure, sure. So there was a company that Slumberjay bought called TerraTech that was out of Salt Lake. And I worked there as a bench scientist for a long time. But you can only, I guess, keep someone who's had such a exciting <laughs> background in a laboratory, I think, for so long. And I got romanced to Texas, I think a lot of people mm -hmm. do, with this idea that I could take all this laboratory testing, take this x-ray equipment, the same, got a phone call saying, hey, this huge x-ray machine that you use in the laboratory, the one that takes up one room for the machine and the next room for the cooler. Well, the technology has been used on the Curiosity rover on Mars, and they've now released it to be commercialized. And we would like to take this cutting edge technology and put it on one of the most rugged places you could other than Mars. And that would be an active drill site. My goodness. And that was really the NASA program is what really built onto the rigs. This technology is to be rugged enough to do mm. high tech laboratory work on active well sites. And it's exciting because now we're seeing that also brought into a lot of those unmanned rigs and the robotics mm. that they're using now now in the well site. So that was incredibly exciting. I did that for a number of years out in West Texas and in Louisiana. And then when I got, after I got my MBA, I decided that I wanted, I had made a dream for quite a number of years before then, is talk about being flexible. I decided I had a snapshot in my mind. And that picture was a picture of me when I quote, quote, made it. Mm -hmm. right? When right. everything I had done up to that point in my life had accumulated to me actually succeeding. And it was a picture of me owning my own rig and having my own sons and daughters working on the rig with me and mm -hmm. wildcatting and, and drilling our wells. Mm -hmm. But on that note, I mean, I still have a, an LLC, American Legacy Energy, involved in buying production and stripper wells. And so that dream is still existing and it's something that I do. But I had to really consider how the world is changing and where I could take my background and contribute to the most amount of people that could benefit from it. Mm -hmm. And there's a conference in Houston. Not a lot of people have heard of it, but it's brilliant. It's called Pipes and Pumps. Mm -hmm. You heard of it? I have not. Oh, it's so great. In this conference, they yeah, marry. Tell us about that. Yeah. <laughs> I encourage anyone to Google it. Type in pipes and pumps into your search engine. It is a conference that has been going on for about 10, 12 years now. Mm -hmm. And it all started when a petroleum engineer 
sat next to a heart surgeon on an airplane. So obviously pre-Bose headphones, right? Mm. (laughs) They struck up a conversation about what they did for a living, the heart surgeon and the petroleum engineer. And they realized they had a lot of synergies with pipes and pumps. Yes, this sounds familiar now, but yes, yeah. no, he's oh, going on. I've, I've not been to the college, but I know what you're talking about now, I think. Oh, it's just, just brilliant. And they started a yearly conference where they brought in the top technologies from aerospace, medicine, oil and gas, and I believe now it also includes data technologies. And they show off, they show off their technologies and what resulted from those business relationships was, you know, now we are using micropropins in heart surgeries to clear arteries. We are using x-ray technologies for leak detection on pipelines. We're using propins to clear the lines in space right now at the space station. It's just a lot of very exciting ways that when we share technologies cross industry, we can really grow faster and have incredible solutions. And so when Suez Water Technologies came to me, really came full circle, right? Whether it was firefighting, Mm -hmm. whether it was oil and gas production, and whether it's water, it really is pumps and pipes, right? Mm -hmm. No question. It's all pumps and pipes. It's exciting to bring my experience to Suez and also learn from Suez and be part of those water solutions now, not just for the oil field, but for the communities and and for all industries. No question. Yeah, I had a uh, friend, now you mentioned that, mentioned uh, about this conference because at least he got sounds very some very similar to what he was talking about. It's how they shared ideas and so forth. So I'll have to go back and contact him and learn more about it because not in my necessarily my in the technology side, but I'd love to learn more for sure. That's unbelievable. That's the future. You talked about robotics, artificial intelligence, and different things that are coming around the corner and on and on. And it sounds like you're part of that group of leaders, the teams that are taking us to that direction. I gave a talk, I have been giving a talk for a year or two on the digital transformation from the whiteboard to the boardroom. And why I gave that talk was because I thought there was a disconnect between those that are uh, doing the research and the technology innovation from the board sometimes where they needed to communicate more and to become more involved and to add to that would be the digital the digital world to make sure that they're keeping up in their industries. And I appreciate what you're doing and the leadership you have because you give talks, right? Aren't you a member of like the Women in Energy or some organizations that kind of carry the torch for energy and natural resources? I have a lot of memberships in a lot of different groups in energy, and I stay as highly involved as I can with all of them. Last year, I served as the chair for the SPE Reservoir Study Group out here in the Permian Basin. I'm currently on the board for the PBA DOA out here. Also, I'm involved in Toastmasters, mm-hmm. which is fun. Right. I've always had a fear of speaking, so the best way to beat that, right, is to speak Very more, <laughs> <laughs> which is a great tip for anybody well, who's well, You're doing a great job on the podcast, so keep okay. going. This is great. <laughs> So as a geologist, I'm very privileged to call myself a geoscientist. Mm -hmm. And one of the most incredible organizations in the world is the AAPG. And that's where I met Susan Nash. I believe she's a mutual friend of ours. Right. One of the people I admire most in in the world is Susan Nash. And even though I am a geoscientist, my funny soapbox is when I was firing EMS, a lot of people became their job, right? Mm -hmm. Their identity was a cop. Their identity was a firefighter. And that's a very dangerous thing to do. You know, you see them with their big tattoos, you know, truck 13 <laughs> across right. their back. Right. And I just want to make it really clear. If you want to make a career pivot, first recognize that you were never walking away from something that you were. None of us are our jobs. It's simply a twist of fate that led us to our current paths. And I'm a firm believer that all of us could do almost anything 
if it was our training and exposure. I think you really saw that in World War II, right? Where a lot of men left the jobs and had to be filled by women. Right. And it was incredible how quickly everyone learned. Mm -hmm. And we became giants in manufacturing in that age. Each of our roles, our jobs are giving us critical skill sets to excel in our next position forward. And even mm -hmm. if your duties or titles change, everything, every job you've ever done in your life is adding to your skill sets and values. You never lose anything by doing a pivot. Great words of wisdom. I appreciate you sharing that because there are students, there are those uh, upcoming leaders and leaders as far as that goes in the workplace today that need to hear that. And so appreciate that so much. And I was looking at ideas of what are kind of habits or routines or different things that people incorporate into their life, including yourself. You know, what, what do you do? And it seems like you're doing that. You have different routines and habits that are habits that you want to have for success. So if you could expound on that. Oh, that's great. Have you read that book, Atomic Habits? I have not. I've oh, got two things I've got to start. You've gotten me stumped twice now. I keep going. Love it. Sitting here on my desk, I change it up every month. It's kind of, here's one of my little tips in life, I guess, is read daily. If you mm -hmm. don't finish a book, so what? Throw in a bookmark, start another. Read the cliff notes or the abbreviated version. You learn, yes. Yeah, right. just come back to the book later. Expose yourself in life to as many opposing ideas, religions, political mm -hmm. views, and never mm -hmm. stop. Even when you've made up your mind and you stand firm on your values, mm -hmm. um, understanding that others have a different human experience is just a critical mindset to mm -hmm. leadership and decision-making. So one of the things I do is I keep a stack of books and then I rotate them out every month and I'll, I'll come back to them another month later. Mm -hmm. So right here on my desk, I've got Anomalies. So Pioneering mm -hmm. Women in Petroleum Geology. Right. That's a good one. Harvey um, Pinnock's Little Red Book for golf. <laughs> <laughs> I don't tell mom I work on the rigs. She thinks I'm a piano player in a whorehouse. <laughs> Clady, The Roller Coaster Life of a Texas Wildcatter. Oh my goodness. The New Map, Energy, Climate, and the Clash of Nations. Right. And 1776 is like, so originally I'm not from Utah, so it's great to dive mm -hmm. into right. some of our, our countries and, and Texas heritage. So, Dave McCullers. Yeah. yeah. Wow. What a great way to do that because you keep active and keep learning. I encourage people to do that. One other thing I ask or encourage that is listening. And it seems like you do that. You listen to, you go to these seminars and conferences and you take all this in. You, I, I consider listening is somewhat reading. <laughs> You're taking it all in and capturing that. You execute on different projects and analyze, of course, being in the geoscience side of it, but deliver. How do you explain delivering what your goal is or delivering what your project is? You know, it seems like we go through the process. I say lead, L-E-A-D, is listen execute, analyze, and deliver or develop. And you do that. How do you explain to those that are trying to incorporate delivering your goals and your projects to the fullest? How do you go about that? Okay. You know, it's funny is there's some bad advice I've been <laughs> given up for my career. And I want to share one of the things that really helps me move quickly and forward. One of the things I love, there's a quote going around on LinkedIn and I support it completely. And it says, it's not our grandpa's oil field anymore. It's mm -hmm. like hashtags, not your daddy's oil field. And a lot of older traditions just don't work anymore. A hundred years ago, they used to say, keep your cards close. Never share your personal life or your salary or your next move. Mm -hmm. I think that's archaic and mm -hmm. terrible advice. Mm -hmm. If you weren't born with a silver spoon or a birthright into a board seat, you need supporters. You need mentors. You need a hype person. You mm -hmm. need a team. Well, I'm glad you said that. It's just a new world. People want to work for people they like. 
And right. knowing someone authentically, I mean, shown by millions of followers of influencers, they show mm. that the people alive today are hungry for real connections. Both of my parents are retired school teachers. Every mm. dime they ever made was on the internet, fully public. There right. is enormous value in transparency, as seen with the success of Glassdoor and other hiring sites, mm. to help qualified candidates make informed decisions. Mm-hmm. Tell your people your next move. For every right. one person that will stab you in the back or steal your idea or compete for your position when you tell them your plans, don't worry about those losers. A <laughs> hundred more good people for every bad egg will be inspired by your ambition, connect you into their networks and propel you forward with career jet fuel. That's great. That's so great. those are things I do. I try to live authentically, transparently, and and talk openly about where I'm trying to go. I don't have all the tools in my toolbox. Oh, it's fantastic. Fantastic words of, again, wisdom you're passing along to those that are listening. I think of, you know, I like to have dashboards and metrics and measurements, not only for any business I'm involved with or businesses that I'm involved with, but really on a personal level. How do I measure, you know, put something on the calendar? Will it be achieved or not achieved? And how do I keep up? How do I keep moving? And it sounds like whether it's in written form or in your mind or in your heart as well, sounds like you've done that. You continue to set these goals and objectives and you have this dashboard and nothing else. I've got oh, to Mark, I'm a data well, junkie. <laughs> I love data. I was about to say, keep going on that too. Because those are aspiring. How can we improve? To me, to be successful, you have to have these ideas in mind and in heart, if nothing. And also, if possible, written down and charted out. And every day it's updating. Every day. And maybe by the hour sometimes. What's your system? Oh, wow. So... A day in my life would be every night before I go to bed, I keep a OneNote journal and it has two parts to it. One is my schedule and the other one is my to-do list. Actually, it's three parts and underneath that is an actual journal and it's all on one page for the day in OneNote. And I, I fill that out the night before when I go to bed. It lets me rest, right? Otherwise, I'll overthink into the night. Mm-hmm. So when I have my schedule set for the next day, my to-do list organized into A, B, and C and my thoughts for the day captured, I can sleep really well. I'm up every morning at 4.30. One of the gyms I resisted going to for years, I've been going to lately, I love is Orange Theory. It's a great hit workout and it fills you full of data Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm when you're Mm -hmm. done. And from there, I attack my schedule by by 6.30 in the morning at my desk. And it's just a nice start to the day. I also try to challenge myself if I can to have a meeting first thing in the morning. If you have a meeting first thing in the morning, I mean, right at 7.30 or 8.00 it puts your wheels turning and your gears going for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. A lot of productivity. Right. One more thing that I do that I really encourage anybody to do who's, you don't have to be earlier in your career for this. You start now is keep a personal CRM. Mm-hmm. Maybe back in the day, that was the little black book, right? In right. your back pocket. And I use HubSpot. It's free. Every person I meet, every business card I see, I upload it into the HubSpot cloud. I write a few notes about how we met, integrates into my phone's contact book. I've had those major head injuries. I've had certain things in my life that have actually damaged my ability to remember things easily. Mm-hmm. By using these little technology tools, I encourage everyone to keep a personal CRM. You never know when a connection from even 10, 15 years ago will be someone that you're going to need later. On that note, always show respect to everyone. I don't care if they're a student, a brand, brand new to the industry. I think it's important that none of us get too big for our pants. <laughs> mm-hmm. We treat everyone with a lot of respect, but we'll come back to you in a good way later. Who do you surround yourself with as far as advisors outside of your industry in, in a sense? I mean, outside your company, I should say, but maybe in your industry and adding to that mentors and giving back as a mentor yourself. Right. I just went to an event the last week with the Women's Energy Network and signed up to be a mentor in that group. 
you know, it's really interesting is if you come out to Midland right now, you're going to think you're just right back in 1980 or something. (laughs) I would like to think that we weren't going to repeat some of the mistakes we did when a lot of money started flowing into the oil industry a long time ago, but I'm seeing it out here, right? The gas pumps are full of lifted monster trucks and there's a lot of Teslas and Corvettes all over town with paper mm-hmm. tags. Those sound like the eighties. You're right. And you know, starting to see people maybe behaving a little badly. I'm just sad to see that. I guess that's the way it is, but I would just really hope that as we have another boom out here, that perhaps we could be a little more conservative. It's not quite that on that. Here's kind of a, side piece of tough love advice. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love networking events. I think that the most important thing you can do is pull a little money out of your budget and put it aside. We can spend tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands on our college education. We have no experience. We don't even know what we're doing yet. We just spent that much money. It's crazy to me that we don't continue to invest in ourselves throughout our entire career. And so one the things I've done, even when I didn't have a lot of money, was put a little aside and go to these networking events, go to these talks put $200 a month in there and they can never say no, right? When you get invited, mm-hmm. you're always going to meet somebody great there. You know, pay attention. Certain networking events, entertainment styles I may not have a concentration of the kind of people who you might want to meet. In particular, a lot are largely attended just by salespeople or people looking to get free drinks. And the best piece of advice I got from a top salesperson a long time ago was to stay sober at all events. If you need to hold something in your hand, get a soda, he said he used to drop a server a hundred bucks and say, keep those sodas with limes coming all day, but no alcohol. <laughs> Don't give in to peer pressure. Do keep your wits about you. Maybe nothing bad or embarrassing will happen to you or your peers, but just don't do it in those professional events. I'm saying this out of experience, out of making mistakes previously. You've got nothing to lose by staying sober at professional events, and it will be better for you in the long run for your health and your career. If you're shy and can't socialize well, don't use alcohol to solve that problem. Ask an extroverted friend for tips on how to open mm-hmm. up interesting conversations. Wow, wow. wow. (laughs) You've given so many words of wisdom for the listeners in all ages, from uh, those that are thinking about getting into certain universities, to students, to those that are upcoming leaders, to leaders in the workplace today. One thing you mentioned, how things look, you're telling my age, by the way, when you talk about the 80s, I was doing a lot of work in Midland uh, back in uh, 1980, 82, especially that time frame and beyond that. But especially those were really active years because, you know, there were hundreds, if not thousands of wells in the Antarctic Basin. And a lot of that, where I was based was Western Oklahoma, but we, my partner or partners were based out of Midland. And so I went down to Midland quite often and yes, saw a lot of activity back then of where things were going and how things were operated. We can always do better, like you say. And that starts one individual at a time, like ourselves, trying to do something better to help mentor others, to encourage others, to get people active in the right way. And I really appreciate all that you're doing in your leadership roles, both engaged in, in your line of work, but also the mentoring and all the networking that you do is so important. And meeting other people is, is such an important part of our lives. I say continue on in what you're doing. I hope to have you back sometime. This has gone by too quickly, but I appreciate all that you contribute again to our industry. We've been listening to Don Porter, Midland, Texas. And I uh, hope that you will, again, uh, come back with some more advice for us because we need wisdom at this time in our lives as well. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, anyone out there, as you're building your dreams, just recognize that your skill sets are transferable. You can do anything. You really can. And that no matter what you do at work, just remember that your greatest impact and legacy in the end will really be with your family. Wonderful. Thank you, Dawn. Thank you. You've been listening to this podcast, The Energy Fellows. And I will say and pass on, The future of energy depends on us. 
Join us again next week on the Energy Fellows Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com. We'll be right back.